Welcome to my podcast, Living with Ovarian Cancer. My name is Diane Evans-Wood and I'm one of many women who are living with ovarian cancer. I want to give women like me a voice to share with you what it's like to live with ovarian cancer. We will cover a whole range of aspects related to diagnosis, treatment, recurrence and well, just about everything in between. I hope you find our honest, candid but often humorous conversations not only useful but also uplifting. So without further ado, settle down and listen to my conversation today. Welcome to episode 20. Now before I introduce my next guest, I would like to ask you to rate and review my podcast after you've listened to the show. If you enjoy hearing the inspiring stories on here, then be sure to also subscribe to the podcast and that way you never miss an episode. Now, by rating and reviewing the podcast, it really does help the podcast to become more visible in the podcast world. Think pop charts when we used to buy singles that would get to number one. It kind of works like that in the podcast world. So I would love to see my podcast be that successful because the people that I talk to, they deserve to be heard. So on with the show. Now, today I have the pleasure of talking to Jane Waygood, who I've been following for a while on social media, and she wants to share her story with us today. So welcome, Jane. Hello. Hello there. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? I Well, it's a beautiful sunny day here. I'm up in Fife and just north of Edinburgh, oh, and uh, the sun has been shining for three or four days, so it does make you feel better (laughs) it does springs on its way yeah yeah Yeah. Jane can you tell me more about you what makes you you who 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 are you you said you live in Scotland in Fife um what do you love to do hobbies children pets yeah I I've lived um up in Scotland since 1986 I actually had a very nomadic childhood because my father was in the forces Right. And I was brought up in the in the United States to start with, and Germany, and I've been in yeah. Saudi, Wales, south of England, north of England, so wow. all over the place, really. Mm. I think my heart probably belongs to Scotland. It was where my grandparents lived, up near Aberdeen, and it was the one place that we always came home to when we'd been on service overseas. So that, that was lovely. But I've mm. been, I came up when my... Uh, marriage broke up, moved up to Scotland mm-hmm. with four children. Oh. And uh, so on my own for quite a long time, yeah. which was interesting at times and, you know, obviously had its challenges. Yeah. And they're all still in Scotland. They all went away to university in England yeah. and maybe to Australia and Ireland and different places to live. But they've actually all come back to Scotland. Oh. That's lovely. Uh, So one of them lives in Glasgow, two live in Edinburgh, and one lives about 200 yards away from me Mm. in Fife. Yeah. We're just by the, very close to the sea, there's a lovely path called the Fife Coastal Path, which goes all the way along, right along to St Andrews, and we're about 150 yards from, from the path. So it is lovely, and it's very uncrowded. 
yeah. in comparison to the south. Oh, it sounds so beautiful. Yeah. It is. Yeah. On a lovely day, on a wet, grey, dreech day, as we say in Scotland, um, you then wish you were a thousand miles away. So. <laughs> but yeah. it is it is very pretty. And I think one of the main reasons I do love it, although I miss Edinburgh because I love the theatre and yeah. just the culture that Edinburgh offers, but yeah. I'm only half an hour away by train. Yeah, And I've only been over in Fife since July last year, and it's been quite a difficult year for mm. health reasons, but it is lovely. We were out yesterday and walking around a loch, you know, and you meet maybe half a dozen other people, and that's it, and all these beautiful mountains in the background, so highly oh. recommended if you want a break. Yeah, oh, you've sold it to me already. <laughs> yeah. Well, come and stay, you're very welcome. Oh, I love that, thank you. So who's at home with you? Well, just my partner, Tony, now, yeah. um, although the children still come and go. Yeah. Uh, I've say so they've got four children, but the, my eldest is 51 now, or yeah. 50, nearly 52, and the youngest is 44. Yeah. And I've only, from that clutch, I've only got three grandchildren. So Violet is 15, and then I've got James and Otto, who are just six and just five yeah and Otto lives down the road so I see a lot of him oh do you know I can see your face lights up when you talk about your children honestly <laughs> I can see you're so proud of them I, I yeah. love family anything family yeah. and we were always such when I was growing up there were always hundreds of cousins and things but <laughs> unfortunately these days people live so much further away yeah. you know, and, and yeah. my grandparents always had room for the whole family to assemble together but people don't yeah. live like that anymore it's just no. insane so I don't I don't see them very often but when we do it's lovely oh that's so lovely oh now we're, we're here to talk about the fact that we, you have ovarian cancer and I just wondered whether you could talk me through what was it that led you to think that there was something wrong what what led you to go to your GP Jane well my uh, I'll start actually with the GP because that was a problem for me because I'd moved I'd been living in Spain for or spent a few months in Spain I'd sold my house before I'd gone away came back and I was just I had a little apartment in Edinburgh which my daughter had lived in and I was going to I used to rent it out and I was staying there but it was out of the area that I'd lived in previously for about 25 years and I was therefore out of the area for my doctors and pra the practice I'd been with for so long and I tried to register with a local practice before I knew I was ill and they were all full and I'd go around every week, you know, and they'd say, we'll come back next week. And mm -hmm. In fact, they used to say, we'll come back in the winter because we lose a lot when the flu season's on. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a very nice thought. Um, so I actually had a problem and I didn't have a GP. Mm -hmm. But I was, I really, I'd had a slight, I had had a niggle in my left low, lower side, sort of groin mm -hmm. area. but. You know, I do a lot of exercise, I love tennis, I do a lot of walking and yeah. a lot of hills in Edinburgh. And every now and then you do hurt yourself just 
reaching for a ball or mm. jumping off something. Um, and I've never accepted that I'm not permanently 21 years of age. So I probably try <laughs> to do more than I should. And anyway, I was going, I've been invited to a big party down in Cumbria where I used to live yeah. for New Year. And I'd gone out to buy a dress for it. And my weight's been, all my life really, it's been pretty stable. And, yeah. and I've always been a sort of size 12. And this dress, I remember, was really tight around the waist. And I had to go up a side and size. And that really upset me because I thought, not usually this size, but I just no. felt really uncomfortable. And my tummy was getting hard and it was, you know, it was quite sore. And then it sort of, then it just ballooned really. Mm. And I realized that there was something wrong. And I mm. went along to my, to the practice closest to me, yeah. um, where the receptionist said, I'm, you know, she didn't even say, I'm sorry, she just said, well, nobody's going to see you go back to your own practice and I said well I, I can't because I'm not in their area and they're not allowed to see me so <laughs> it was around Christmas time and I went in again to the, I actually went in to the practice on Christmas Eve in tears because I was so uncomfortable yeah. and again she just told me to go away so I sort of spent Christmas crying really just in pain and discomfort and frightened I was scared at that time because I knew oh, there must no. be something wrong and I went along to um, Boots the chemist mm. I think it was on Boxing Day and explained to the pharmacist there you know what had happened and she was very concerned and could see that I was very bloated yeah. and told me to ring NHS 24 uh, which I did, who were very helpful, said they would fax through all the details to the A&E at the local hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went along to A&E, waited for hours, obviously, as one does. Mm -hmm. And then I was seen in triage. And the young doctor who examined me, I explained I'd been very sick and I hadn't been able to eat for about 10 days and I had this huge tummy. Yeah. And uh, he was very dismissive. He said, oh, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I suggest you go. He said, I'm, I'm extremely busy. He kept saying, I'm really busy. you know. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I am in great discomfort. And he told me to go home and change my diet. So oh my I went goodness. home very upset. My a daughter had come with me and she'd heard him because we were just in a little mm. cubicle. And when I came out, she said, oh, well, that's good, but there's nothing wrong. And I said, mm. you know, I'm sorry, Jory, but there is. Yeah. And two days later, I rang NHS 24 again and just said, please don't send me back to the hospital. So they sent me to an out-of-hours GP practice where the, the doctor recognised straight away that there was something wrong. But yeah. he actually thought it might be a bowel blockage. Yes. So yeah. I was admitted to... Um, Western General in, in Edinburgh yeah. and they did scans etc and I was up in I was in a ward there and I remember the doctor coming and sitting on the end of my bed this is the bit I get emotional <laughs> oh. um, and took my hand and said I'm sorry there's a huge mass yeah and he said it's it's not your bowel it's on your ovaries so, yeah. um, and we'll have to send you to the other hospital because they didn't have a gynae department 
at the Western General. Mm -hmm. So I was then sent to the, the Royal Infirmary. What year was this? When, when was this it? This was 1919. Uh, um, oh gosh, it's seven years ago now. So okay. it was 20, 2015, January. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so really, I should have been diagnosed at the end of 2014. Yeah. This was January, and it was sort of the time between Christmas and New Year, which is not a good time to try and see a doctor anyway, because they're all very busy. So I was admitted there, and I was actually in hospital for three weeks. Yeah. And um, they did, by, by this time, I hadn't eaten or drunk anything for so long that my organs were apparently packing up. And the children were warned, you know, that I really was very ill. Oh my and goodness. so I had a drip for a few days um, yeah. and then they did more scans, etc. And then they were going to drain me, but there was nobody available on call over mm -hmm. Christmas and New Year who could actually do the, the draining. So I had to wait till they'd come back from Hog Hogmanay celebrations. Mm -hmm. oh. Um, and then I had eight litres, 13 pints removed from my tummy. So this is the ascites in there. This is the ascites, Fluid yeah. in there. Which um, I felt so much more comfortable once it had gone. But you did. Yeah, so that was uncomfortable. They did tell me, you know, they said that's a lot. But the following day, I think they'd had somebody that we'd had 27 pints removed. Oh, <laughs> You must have been having difficulty breathing and moving. Well, I, I did have drift. I had difficulty breathing mm. and I'd never really had that before. So it, it was very, I don't know how people cope with that all the time. No, um, no. Anyway, they were very nice to me in the hospital, but there was a lot of deliberation about what they should do next. Okay. And then they had the multidisciplinary team meeting. Yeah. And... Um, decided that I was inoperable. They said it was just too too widely spread. It was the amentum, peritoneum, the bowel, outside of the bowel. Interestingly, there was only one ovary affected. The other ovary was all mm. right. Mm. And I'd had a I had a partial hysterectomy when I was 30, 31. Yeah. Uh, because of very heavy periods. Mm. And um, I'm sorry about that. It's my partner's going to answer it for me. That's so, <laughs> okay. Now, life happens, Jane. Yeah, Don't worry. Sorry about that. Yeah, so they said they wouldn't be able to operate mm. and the next stage would be chemo and then they would have another look, but they were very doubtful that they would ever be able to operate. However, I then was discharged and started chemo a few weeks later, actually. I did have to wait a few weeks. Mm. And the first oncologist I had, I found very negative. Yeah. And, you know, you, you either get on with your doctor, or you, and I think we were just opposites. Mm. I was trying mm. to be optimistic. And I remember saying, what options do I have? And I can clearly remember her saying, you don't have any. You know, it's either you do this or yeah. nothing. Um, anyway, I did have chemo. I'd always said before I ever had cancer myself that I would refuse chemo if I ever got it right um, but I did decide that I really wanted to live and because I think it was because I'd been so uncomfortable mm -hmm. 
I think that made me think I've got to uh, try and do something about this. So, Why were you against chemotherapy? I was just, I just don't like poisoning the body. Mm. I wish it could be nowadays, not so much for ovarian, but for a lot of cancers, there's targeted chemo. Both my parents died of cancer a long time before. I was in my 20s. But I do remember how brutal the treatment was then. Yeah. Um, No, I understand what you're saying. Things have changed these days with so They have. And even in the seven years since... I was diagnosed. Um, I've got a friend who was recently diagnosed and her treatment, far more options for her than there were for me. There really wasn't much. So Uh, you did did decide to have chemo. I did have chemo. You really needed to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I had um, carboplatin and and Texel. Yeah, the usual Um, combination for ovarian cancer. (laughs) I had awful side effects. I was very ill. They reduced the dosage of both of them and Taxel they ultimately withdrew because I was just so ill after it and I had dreadful neuropathy and seven years later I still have it in my do you know same with me same so similar um I I think Paclitaxel wiped me out yes Um, so they I was meant to have six of each but I actually only had three of the Paclitaxel and then just carried on with carboplatin on its own. But yeah, the neuropathy, they say it goes away, but actually it hasn't. So like you. Yeah, it doesn't. And there were quite a lot of other um, side effects. It affected my eyes. My eyesight went quite dramatically. Yeah. Um, And also I think my hearing, certainly for a, a time, but I'm finding that I've just been on carboplatin again and I find my hearing has gone a bit. I've always had very sharp hearing. So, did you did you get tinnitus at all? Because uh, I, I found, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get no. that. But I know people that I occasionally I'd get just one, a little buzzing or something, but mm. it wasn't continuous. No, that must be awful. Yeah, I think it stands to reason it will affect our hearing because. You know, when you when you think about what chemotherapy does and we lose our hair and you've got lots of little hairs called cilia in your ear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, they're going to be affected as well. Affected. So I, I, that stands to reason that we're going to yeah. get issues with that. It does to me, but it's not it certainly isn't something that's ever brought up, is it? No, not really. Yeah. And I no. I didn't know anybody who'd ever had ovarian cancer. I'd really never heard of it, to be honest. And nor did I know I had an omentum until they told me they were going to take it out mm. or, or until they told me it was effective. So I spent a lot of time learning about my own body, actually, things that I thought I would know that I just didn't. How but, did you cope with the hair loss, Jane? Um, well, not that... Well, I went to see somebody before I started chemo because I knew I would lose it. And indeed I did. It's sort of really 12 days afterwards, it suddenly came out. I always kept a bit of, I never shaved my head though. I wasn't, I know most women do. I just didn't want to do that. No, I, no. I still had a little bit of a fringe, yeah. which I would wear under, if I was wearing a cap, I like to have my little bit of fringe sticking, yeah. but it was it was very little. But the first 
wig I had, uh, say it's before I'd lost my hair, so they knew the colour and things really, but mm. they were so unhelpful. And I remember it, it's quite embarrassing, an emotional thing to talk mm. to somebody about, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's very underestimated. Yes, it really? is. And anyway, there's a lady who, and she kept having to go out, her, her mobile phone kept going, and she kept going out of the room. And anyway, she, I was given a choice of two wigs, neither of which were me, really, but I mm. ended up taking one of them. And um, so I did, I did wear, I didn't really like wearing it, but um, I did, if I was going, if I felt well enough and I was going to a party or something then, yeah. or out for lunch. And on one memorable occasion, it was Mother's Day, the March, mm. and a very windy, typical Scottish, cold, wet, damp day. <laughs> and the children and I all went to a local Italian restaurant mm. Had a nice meal, not that I could eat much, but it was a fun time. And we came out and the wind was blowing. And suddenly there was a big whoosh of wind and uh, a bus went by and my wig followed the bus down the road. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> so at this point, there was just one of my daughters and my granddaughter were, were with me. And they both open-mouthed and looked at me in absolute horror. And I... I, I think they thought they didn't know what I was going to do, but I got the giggles and the three yeah. of us were sort of holding onto the lamppost, laughing yeah. hysterically. <laughs> and it was very funny. And I did oh. I did retrieve the wig, which was very, I think somebody picked it up for me, actually. Yeah. And it was wet and damp and revolting and ended up going away. <laughs> but it was, it was funny. And yeah. I have to say, because I hated the wig, that wig so much, mm. I did, really didn't mind saying goodbye to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, farewell on the wind. Oh, the my wind. goodness. You have to laugh about these things, really, otherwise you'd be crying all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah, there is humour. I think um, in the most adverse of situations, we find something funny. Yes. And it's a dark humour that you develop, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yes, um, it is. I mean, I've always called, and this is awful as well, actually, but the... When I go for clinic appointments and all the chairs are sort of it's slightly more friendly than it used to be, but chairs would sort of be set out in a very medical sort of manner. And I've always it's always reminded me of a an airport and I, I used to call it the departure lounge, which is <laughs> very black humour, but it amused me. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you mean. Oh yes, it is like that, isn't it? Oh. But anyway, after three months, I had another scan and yeah. my CA125 was over 4,000 when I was diagnosed yeah. and it, it had dropped right down to about 17. It dropped very quickly. Gosh, gosh, it and did its job then, didn't it? Yes, it certainly did its job. Was it, um, was it high grade serous ovarian? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when they you know, got the scan report, they said, actually, we, we can operate, you know, surprisingly, mm -hmm. we can, because most of it had necrotized, died. Yeah. And uh, so an operation, I was given the operation date, and one or other of the children had agreed, you know, they took time off work so they could come. Anyway, yeah. two days before the operation was cancelled, 
and this was a long time before COVID or anything else, yeah. they needed, because they needed um, an oncological gynecologist, but also mm. a bowel surgeon, oh. and they worked in different hospitals. So I can understand it was difficult, but it's upsetting when, you know, you get geared up for a, a big op yeah and anyway so it was it was rearranged for about three weeks later so we re rearranged children's holiday and things so someone could be with me and uh, the same thing happened again it was cancelled again at two days notice oh no and, uh, i was i was really upset actually because mm. i'd done i like to know who's going to be doing an operation on me yeah. and then i'd look them both up and i i in the second case i'd met the people um, and it, when it happened the third time, you know, when I got the third team, and I remember saying to my son, I'm really fed up. And he said, oh, what's mm -hmm. the name of your surgeon? So I told him, and he said, oh, he was my prefect at school. Yes, and he was, and Barney said, he's, you know, he's such a nice, mm -hmm. nice man, he's lovely. And um, when I met him, I thought, I will let you know that I know of you. <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, he said, well, we'll take extra special care of you. And they were very good. Aww. So I had, I think it was about eight and a half hours, the operation. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's major, major surgery. Yes, yeah. But I remember before, when you're signing the form, mm. um, crossing out of the bit, I said, if, you, if you're going to give me I want to know if I'm going to have a stoma. Mm. That was the thing that was worrying me most, although I know people get used to it very quickly. Anyway, mm. I remember coming round and I obviously sort of had put my hands to feel if I had, and I remember somebody saying, it's all right, you don't have a stoma. Oh. <laughs> I'm going back to sleep. Yeah. Um, so they had removed part of the bowel, but they'd been able to um, stitch it together again. Yeah. And it hadn't the cancer hadn't gone inside it was actually on the outside, on the outside so yeah extremely lucky with that yeah and I I before I'd had the operation in the months sort of or the weeks leading up to it I'd made sure I walked as much as I could um at least two miles a day and that was a definite you know I had to do that I would feel I had to do it um, yeah, it's it's an important part of your recovery. I think um, these days they do say to exercise as much as you possibly can, you know, not to go mad, but to, I think walking is something that they suggest, but to, yeah. to maintain your exercise because it's good for you, not only just physically, but for your, your mental health. Mental health well. too, yeah, mm. definitely. And that's when I remember sort of walking around, and by this time it was May, I remember there was a general election actually going on on the day I had the operation then. But I remember all the the blossom coming out. On, yeah. I lived near an area of Edinburgh called the Meadows, and yeah. it's just beautiful in the spring. The blossom is fantastic. And I remember walking down there and um, thinking to myself, will I, will I ever see this again? You know, you have this sort of... It's just it makes you think about things you, you don't think about before. And I think I've just yeah. stopped and spent a long time looking at it and thinking I should have done this. Stop and smell the roses. Yeah, I, I know. It's it changes your outlook, doesn't mm. it? Um something life-threatening just makes you stop and think about 
how valuable and precious that life is yeah and each season you you just want to savor every moment you know because you're not quite sure if it it will be the last spring that you'll see so you you want to make damn well that you you make the most of it yes yeah and just enjoy it and I only had one grandchild at that time and then I remember not long after my son and then partner now wife um saying that you know they were the baby was going to be coming and I remember again thinking am I ever going to meet this little chap well he's he's six now (laughs) how do you cope though how what gets you through because it is it's very very difficult and sometimes you might not be able to even answer this actually but I'm just wondering um what are your coping strategies how do you overcome those feelings I'm I think I've always been a can-do hmm. person. Actually, I think I'm. I think I'm pretty lucky in that. I mean, I have had down moments certainly, but I never. I didn't really give up on hmm. thinking that I could get better and survive. I was told I'd be lucky at the start. I'd be lucky to have two years, and I saw that as a challenge actually, rather than. Yeah a life sentence. Um, and one of the first things I did was I I was married a long time ago to a doctor. And so I knew quite a lot of people from, they're all retired now, but I knew quite a lot of people who were either in London doctors or something. And I, yeah. I did speak to a couple and people were recommended to me in London and I wanted a second opinion. Mm. And I did go down to London and see somebody else who gave me much more he just had an optimist you know I said well I've been told this and he said well that's rubbish there are lots of things again I've been told initially that I was too old they wouldn't consider me for a trial because I was too old and he said well it's absolute rubbish you know I was 67 at the time and and he said that's not it's not true at all as long as you fit the medical criteria you're eligible you know there are trials going on all the time not that I've ever been on a trial but there are a couple that I'm trying to inquire about now that might be interesting yeah yeah so things have changed so much in the seven years they they have haven't they but you know I think the the emotional roller coaster that we go through I think is impossible to to describe you know, and yeah. and when you were talking to me about when you were told right back, you know, when you were diagnosed, the the emotion, even though it's all those years ago, the emotion, it brings it right back, doesn't it? You, yeah. you remember those feelings. Yes. And to a certain extent, you 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 do learn to cope. You you adjust, don't you, in the end, I think, um, and to accommodate the news that you're given. And it's very difficult, I think, to describe to people how to cope. But what you're saying is that it's almost like you took control. You thought, right, I'm going to learn about this. Actually, I'm yeah. going to ask and learn all I can. Yes, yes, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm afraid the phrase, don't Google anything, mm. doesn't work for me because I do. <laughs> but I, I cross-reference things and I mm. was looking at you know, proper scientific or medical papers, yeah. not just what somebody, you know, there were always 
there would be friends ringing up and you know my my friend ate cabbages for three weeks and their cancer was cured this sort of thing <laughs> but I think what I found the hardest was that nobody in my circle really understood because they didn't have cancer no. and it's just you know you they ask you about things but they don't really understand and you try mm. to explain it it's 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 quite sort of tiring but I went I'd heard about um, a conference in London uh, there was a charity called what well, still exists but called yes to life yeah and the person Robin Daly had set it up his own daughter had died I think of a brain tumor and he'd set up this charity and I can't I actually can't remember how I heard about it now, but I, I presume it must have been online somewhere. Yeah. And I went to that and um, Jane McClelland was talking. Yeah. And so was Sophie Savage and another girl called um, Patricia Pete. Mm. And there were also several eminent speakers, but not that I knew about them at the time, on alternative approaches to Canada, to cancer yeah. treatment. Not, not saying, you know, chemo is wrong, but that it should be integrative, really, and that yeah. there were other ways. And I, I've actually met Jane a few times, and when I first joined her group, there were only about two or three hundred, and now she's got mm. tens of thousands of people. Oh, this is the Facebook group, isn't it? Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a part of that group, and it's it's huge, it's huge. Yes, yeah. but it was, it was very small, and Jane answered every mm. question, but there were also a lot of, there were quite a few people on there who were doctors or scientists. Yeah. So I felt the information I was getting there was, was genuine and useful and pertinent. Yeah. And I sort of kept in touch with, with Jane over the years, but it really gave me much more hope that there was something yeah. I could do personally. And I do, you know, I do take a lot of extras to try yeah. and keep my immune system well. Jane McClelland wrote a book, and it's probably very well known, isn't it? It's How yes. to Starve Cancer. How to Starve Cancer. Um, and the new version, and then kill it with ferroptosis. Right. Um, so I've got both versions of the book. Yeah. And, How, um, what is that? What is her regime then? What does what does she suggest that we do to well, combat it, it cancer? Is, it's different for every cancer, and I think, and they we have different metabolic pathways. Yeah. And there are different um, medicines, off-label medicines or herbal medicines, supplements that help to block particular, but what is right for one cancer may not mm. be right for another. So it is important. Yeah. It is, you really have to read it several times to, to yeah. digest it all. It's quite a lot. Yeah, it's it is it's complicated, isn't it, to describe? Yeah. But I think it's in it the use of repurposed um, repurposed drugs. Drug. Yes, yeah, yeah, she does use those. But there are for a few of them, there are herbal or natural equivalents, which are yeah. obviously or generally easier to get than asking a doctor to um, prescribe them. I take berberine rather than yeah. metformin, but I did also 
consult with the care oncology clinic as well that was about probably about six months or a year after I'd seen Jane and that was very useful as well and I still take most of the things they prescribe but I don't take I get them elsewhere now yeah yeah Um, I'll put some of that information in the show notes for any of the listeners that are interested in looking into it yeah um I don't know how much of evidence, research evidence is available for it, but I know there is some, isn't there? For the... For the, for the uh, care oncology program. Yes, oh, yes there's, yeah. there's quite a lot. They really have, there's a sort of core of four medicines for yeah. the, um, with care oncology. With Jane's approach, there's actually a much longer list uh, and I say it is varied according to whatever cancer you have. Yeah. And hormone cancers are a bit different to, yeah. to other ones. And I also belong to Joe Tippins. Um, yes. Yeah, no, you know, with, yeah. And I, I take my dog medicine, yeah. my, my deworming medicine. <laughs> Is it fenbendidine or something? Fenbendazole. That's um, the one. And yeah. uh, the one... The, the one the care oncology prescribe is actually membendazole, which is for mm. humans, but it's ob- obviously then you have to get a prescription. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is harder to get. Well, I'll definitely put the information in the show notes for anybody that's interested in what you've been talking yep. about, um, because it is very interesting. So obviously going back then, after you'd had the first course of chemo you had your surgery and your ca125 was down to 17 i think you said 17 i think it went down to 11 but that's the lowest mine has ever been yeah and i said after um i then had last two were just carboplatin yeah and i said i didn't want the sixth one and they did try to persuade me to have it Mm -hmm. Um, but then they admitted that there really wasn't any way of telling whether the, the sixth one would have made any difference. Mm. And it's cumulative, isn't it? So, you know, each one that you have, you don't, your body doesn't bounce back quite to where it was no, previously. No, and so you, you, but your body just gets more and more depleted, which is obviously why they do the bloods to check that you're, you're yeah. doing okay and your body can withstand the chemo mm. um, but it is it's cumulative and by the end of the chemo a lot of people do feel quite wiped out yes and I just wanted to get back and you know get on track and mm. boost my immune system yeah and start you know resume to or actually I, there weren't many things I took at that time but after that I'd researched and I knew what I wanted to take I also take low-dose uh, naltrexone, the LDM, yeah. um, which is very easily available from a Glasgow pharmacist. Yeah. And I do, I'd heard about that oh, several years before I developed cancer because they use it. It was uh, very successful for the daughter of a friend of mine who mm. had multiple uh, sclerosis. Yeah. And she'd been in a wheelchair heard this man talking at Speaker's Corner in London um, about this wonder drug that he'd he'd Mm. used. And uh, she started taking it and she now travels all over Mm. the world and is, you know, completely cured of it. 
Well, I don't know that she's killed, but it's kept in abeyance all the time. Yeah. But it was, and I heard then that it was also useful for cancer. Yeah. So it was one of the first things I thought about when I got my own diagnosis. Yeah. And, Can you uh, tell us what naltrexone is for the listeners? Well, naltrexone, young? the high dose, was originally used um, for drug addicts or alcoholics. And I think a lot of doctors still think, that's what it is. So if you ask if you can have some, they might think you've got a different sort of problem. Um, but the low dose, it helps with inflammation. And there's uh, a London, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, there's an oncologist in London, gynecological oncologist in London, Angus. And I can't remember his name today. I'm sorry. I've got okay. chemo brain at the moment. Um, <laughs> And he's been a great advocate of yeah. LDN and did trials with his patients. But I think he was the, about the only person, the only oncologist using it at that time. Yeah. Uh, but it does help with inflammation. And although this, at that time, I used to take it every day, but they now suggest that you yeah. pulse it. So you take it for either three or four days yeah. each week and then not on the other ones. Yeah. But there is a lot of information available on it in in London Angus Delbeach his name was uh, yeah and yeah, that's uh, a true Scottish name yes although mm. he's in London yeah yeah <laughs> so you really have adopted and embraced that integrative oncology path really haven't you yes um, I found it very interesting looking at it and I came across um yesterlife because I was looking at mistletoe therapy yes um, yeah. and I was astounded at just what is available actually and and some of their their coping strategies and their methods um and and a, a lot of people use it alongside or the the usual oncology the medical oncology yes. Rather yeah. than as opposed to being instead of, um, so yeah, it is very interesting. I'll yes. try and get some links and, and put those in the show notes for listeners as well. There's, I know there's a doctor in Aberdeen who pres prescribes mistletoe therapy, and I have considered it myself, but I haven't actually gone down that mm. path. And for several years, although my CA125 has risen really ever since. I stopped the first lot of treatment. Yeah. I was really very well, yeah. but it did go to my lymph nodes okay. probably about four or five years ago. Mm. But didn't it didn't really impact on my health or general well-being? Mm. Um, and the nodes went up and down. I, and I say so I really have led a pretty normal life yeah. during all that time. I'd still go for three monthly checkups I'd love the day when they tell me I can come for six months ones but mm. it hasn't happened um, so your, your CA125 was going up in it and obviously the cancer then was found to be in your lymphatic system yes. which is common that happens yeah. yeah um it's our own immune system working isn't it when yes. that happens yeah so you didn't have any treatment at that point but you you were feeling very well I felt very well yeah, I didn't, um, I actually didn't want to have any lymph nodes removed, but they also mm. said it was too extensive, they wouldn't remove them anyway, because yeah. I was more worried about the lymphedema, 
you know, mm. which I think I think the swelling from it can be yeah. pretty bad. Not that I've had it myself. Mm. Um, so really, I was I was doing really well until I caught COVID right at the very beginning, before it was even recognised. So December oh. 2019. Oh gosh, I'm so unlucky. It was very unlucky, but oh. I know I'd been to. Um, we found out later I'd been to shows in Edinburgh over Christmas and yeah. there was a large contingent from China, from Wuhan at oh, the same. Yeah. <laughs> so that must have been, it was really retrospectively. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was living in a block of flats at the time. Mm -hmm. And one girl who lived upstairs, much half of my age, uh, was ill at the same time as me and we both mm -hmm. had pneumonia and were both really unwell you know I was in bed for three weeks I'd never been so unwell in my life oh and then a few weeks after that my joints started I had very stiff ones and mm. they were very sore and my fingers were bending over and yeah. but of course I couldn't see anybody because of wretched Covid yeah and so this went this went on and I I couldn't put on shoes or any you know it was really difficult mm. everything and I was just sort of uh, wearing slip-ons all the time socks were impossible to put on yeah um and then I kept asking for an appointment but of course nobody was seeing anyone I had one telephone appointment where yeah. which was really very unsatisfactory because they were sort of say you know on a scale of one to ten how painful is it mm. and that's not very useful I wanted <laughs> to see so in the end, about eight or nine months later, I managed to get a private appointment to see a, a rheumatologist. Yeah. And within five minutes of seeing me, she diagnosed uh, polymyalgia rheumatica. Right. Which, again, later we now think was was a post-viral effect of the yeah. of the COVID. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was put onto steroids, which. By the next day, I felt very much better and just continued to improve. But I was on steroids for about nine, eight or nine months. Yeah. And during that, I was told not to take other things while I was on them. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, they suppressed the immune system. And that was mm -hmm. when my ovarian cancer, my markers shot up and the oh. ovarian cancer took off again. So I started chemo. Uh, exactly a year ago um, for the recurrence uh, and that was February uh, 2021 and my CA125 halved after the first one it was going right down doing really well and then I developed what I thought was probably a cold sore so I'd mm. never had one before on my upper lip and Again, I, I went to the chemist um, and they said they thought it was and gave mm -hmm. me various medications that nothing seemed to work. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see a doctor because they still weren't seeing people. And after a few weeks, I was really, you know, I was quite worried about this because it was sore and it wasn't responding yeah. to anything else. It seemed to be getting bigger. So I, I took a photograph and sent it into my GP and I was immediately given a, an appointment at a, a local dermatology clinic. Yeah. And I went along there and they told me, unfortunately, it was squamous cell carcinoma of the upper lip, which mm -hmm. I didn't 
I didn't fit the normal makeup for getting it. You know, mm. I don't. I, I'm not. I've never smoked in my life. I don't drink very much. I don't lie out in the sun. So it was just bad luck. But I think it was because my immune system was so suppressed at the time. Yeah. Um, so chemo had to stop. That um, must have. That must have been oh, soul destroying. Yeah. Was. I just wanted to get it all over with. Completely different cancer. Yeah. Um, not related to over. Not, not related oh. to it at all. No. Just sod's law just bad luck really i just feel um, so so sorry for you that you had to go through because that was the time when we were going to originally um record the, the podcast, podcast. Yes, the new you, you wrote to me yeah. and said look this has happened and i re- i back then i couldn't believe it yeah so here you were again then facing something else that was life-threatening yes and it was it was very aggressive actually, mm-hmm. um, but they had to wait until six weeks after I'd had my last chemo yeah. before they could operate, and then they did operate, and it was the most painful thing I've ever I've ever had, injecting yeah. through your your cheeks yeah. to, to numb it, and then they took a, a huge bit away of my upper left lip. Yeah. So I was actually grateful that we could wear masks all the time because I looked so awful Mm. Uh, and it took ages and ages to heal and I just I could only eat and drink through a straw um, for for a long time Um, and then I did I think for the first time I actually did get very depressed because I felt so awful I felt so unwell Um, and scared actually it was Mm. just a horrible horrible time yeah, yeah. and say so it really does look awful while it's healing it's yeah. a nasty thing so after that it took another three or four months I mean I still it still peels I still feel mm. it now it's still quite sore although it's, yeah. it's sort of almost numb and then I started chemo again in at the end of September right was this was this for the ovarian cancer? Yes, that yeah. Was for, yeah. I had no radio. They would have done radiotherapy if they hadn't been able to operate on my lip. Yeah. Um, but having done it all, I then got a phone call a couple of months later to say they actually didn't think they'd taken it all from my mm-hmm. lip. Uh, they didn't. They were insufficient margins so I had to consider whether I wanted it done again which would have meant a bigger they did a skin graft from my neck yeah did I want it again and as they explained they could operate again they might not they might not find any Mm -hmm. it's just that the margins weren't clear so we've decided we'll do a wait a wait and watch so I'll be seen sort of every three or four months just to be checked so at the moment, the, the diary is sort of littered with all the dates on it. There's quite a lot on it, but they're all medical. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas it used to be party or trip to Portugal yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. You get a new calendar and the only things you're putting on there is oncology appointments <laughs> and blood test appointments and all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah you have been through such a rough time. Well, it was really just, you know the last the last couple of years actually yeah. yes because I did feel very ill and I, I think had yeah. COVID been 
recognized them, but it wasn't, you know, it was some mm. months before they said, yeah. oh, I think we think you probably had it. And it was too late then even to do the retrospective tests because the antibodies disappear by then. That's right. Um, but I did react badly to a couple of the vaccinations as well. Mm. Second one, I ended up, I had a, a, a cerebral bleed and ended up in hospital again. And after the first one, I had, um, oh no, it was after my first, when I started the chemo in February, mm. I then had atrial fib fibrillation oh, did and you? ended up in hospital for, <laughs> which um, was, they think was caused by a high dose of the, yeah. so that was reduced afterwards, but that yeah. was quite frightening. It's always a catalogue of things, isn't it? You know, one thing, it's like a domino effect, isn't yeah, it? It seems you know, to be one then, thing leads to another. And I I still think a lot of it is because I'd stopped taking all the mm. all the supplements and things that I I'd taken for several years. So I'm I'm reintroducing them all now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, just fingers crossed. And have you finished your chemotherapy now? I finished it. Um my CA125 has risen unfortunately so I don't I've actually got an oncology appointment tomorrow mm. and I have a lovely oncologist now so that's very nice oh uh, I know who you have as your oncologist he's yes, a hero <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlie so, Gawley for anybody yes. that's not knowing who I'm talking about <laughs> and he's so nice and so but you know we never discuss prognosis he just says yeah. still, he's still got lots of options for me so yeah. I'll see what he says and I might be going on to a PARP inhibitor but yeah I'm not sure if because my CA125 has gone up if that now makes me ineligible we'll, we'll find are, out. Are you symptomatic with the CA125 going uh, on? No no I'm not really mm. I mean I'm still feeling I finished chemo three weeks ago actually so mm. I still got I still I'm tired because after six the again it's a cumulative isn't it and you yeah. uh, I do think I do get more tired I'm better doing things earlier in the day yeah yeah um, yeah I understand but I, you know, I did a six mile walk yesterday and there's a 13 mile walk planned for next week so yeah <laughs> so you're planning some really good things and you're keeping active and that's yeah. that, that sounds to me how you're coping and getting through this is just sitting yes. on one day I, at a time. I was very unwell in October. Yeah. And in fact, so unwell that they, the family were all coming to say goodbye to me. Oh, so, but I'm a stubborn old thing, so I've, I've come back. You are like a cat with nine lives. And yeah, and since then, because I had a I had a impacted bowel, and I also had a lot more ascites, ascites, and uh, mm -hmm. so I had that drained again. But they drained it too fast, so yeah. I was, you know, very low on electrolytes. Yeah. And and but after the the impacted bowel was after that cleared, I started to get better. <laughs> yeah that's so good yeah i mean all oh, the dreaded bowels oh i know it's people so... don't again don't um, i don't think i'd ever run i mean i'd had this chemo gives you dreadful mm. um constipation particularly yeah. carboplatin i think but i i'd actually never really appreciated what people with block bowels had gone through 
yeah agony it's very it's agony. very it's very very painful oh, horrible yeah. thing yeah oh well I, I i really do admire you i really do you're you're just such an inspiration I, oh gosh after everything you've been through and i know the listeners can't see you but you always look so glamorous and so smiling. <laughs> you know, you're just amazing. Well, the wig at the moment helps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it just really looks lovely. You've got such a beautiful face. Oh, you're I'm so kind, grateful to you for telling me your story. And I know that and, uh, there will be so many people out there that benefit from hearing your story, Jane. So thank you so much. Not at all. And yeah. I just say never, you know, don't give up hope. And... Mm. Doctors, nobody has any idea what's around the corner, and there are so many options now. They say you just weren't. I think one of the, if I can just say that, is yeah, actually try and educate yourself on on what it is. Yeah. I mean, now I've I've read, I just read about ovarian cancer every day, which probably isn't healthy, but I'm always looking for things and new things, and and I think there is, even though some things are in the pipeline, you know something good is going to come in the end yeah. enough people yeah. are aware of it and I think educating it. yourself is very important then you know then it empowers you to ask the right questions yes. when you see your yeah. which is important to me but I know that some people I know a lot of people never want to know what their CA125 mm. is I like to know everything and I get copies right from the beginning I've had copies of all my clinic letters reports biopsy reports um yeah I'm a bit of a a nuisance I know <laughs> no you're not a nuisance we're, well if you are then I am because we're so similar <laughs> I I think it's about taking control of your own life yes yeah isn't it? And, yes and, and being responsible actually, for yourself yeah when I was um in hospital right at the beginning um, a very nice gynecologist, but he didn't um, on gynecologist, but he didn't do any operations. So I only saw him then. Yeah. But he did say to me, he said, "I think your worst problem is going to be that you feel out of control." And he was absolutely <laughs> right. So the yeah. more I know about it, the better I feel yeah. about managing it. I I always like to know, even if it's awful news, I'd rather know about it than I know how yeah. to tackle it and and fight it yeah me too I think once you know what you've got to deal with yes it's painful and yes it can be really daunting to begin with and it can really knock you for six can't it but once you've got your head around it and you've accommodated that news then you can move forward yes you know yeah. but it's it's important to to keep asking questions and yes, to understand what's happening until yeah. you do sort of accommodate that information a bit better yeah but I've also found since I found the forums or the groups online that has yeah. been I found and particularly target ovarian cancer yeah. and you know their helpline the wonderful nurses um, particularly Val oh. is just amazing I yeah I've spoken to Val before yeah. yeah I'll put there I will put their information in the yes. show notes as well yeah they're wonderful and it's I certainly didn't know I'm not sure if they had the Facebook group when I was mm. you know, there weren't many ovarian cancer or Facebook no. groups when I first um, started sort of looking at them 
yeah. but it is a, that's a great resource and for people who had recently diagnosed yeah it's wonderful and you really can ask any question at all you know somebody will know what you're going through they have um a, a very helpful. they have a private um group don't they called yes. in such target yes. ovarian cancer yeah. And I think that you have to ask Target to to give you the link and your email address so that you can be admitted to the group. Yes, so yes. it's a very safe and secure place to be. I would certainly recommend it. And yeah. also there are things you maybe don't want, you know, family to know about, things you're worried about that you will put on a brave face for yeah. the yeah. family. And um you know, there are things we get frightened about. But when I was very ill, say in October, they were wonderful. Val was fantastic. She yeah. would contact me regularly and I was able to, yeah. you know, tell her how scared I was <laughs> at that time. But uh, I know I've had a sort of miraculous recovery, really. So Yeah, they're very good to phone because this is their job. This is what they do every day. Yes. Um, and they truly understand. They've heard it all. And they are more than happy to to listen, to help you through it and guide you through, give you advice. Yeah. And they just help you. They, they just help you out of that pit of despair, don't they? Yes, they do. And and the fact that it's just for ovarian cancer. Yes. Because a lot of groups are much more general. Yeah. You know, it's it's very nice. And I've met, you know, I've met, well, I've met you. I've met wonderful people through yeah. it. But, so that is the... When people say, do you regard it, you know, some people have said they felt it was a gift mm. getting cancer. I've never felt that. I have never no. felt that. No. But I have met lovely people that I would never have met before. Yeah, there has been light, hasn't there? I think yes, um, yeah, there in, in all that darkness that can be cancer, there, is, there are a few bright lights there that you, you know, some positives in, yes. in it. But I, like you don't regard cancer as being a gift at all um, but I, I do advocate to anybody to to join peer supported groups um, and to look at credible information but it's your peer support that matters it's that that feeling of not being alone yeah. um, you can say what you need to say in a safe place and you know that those those other people there really truly get what you're saying yes yeah definitely definitely and I, I just think that's a wonderful thing to have somebody mm -hmm. that you, we've all got lovely friends who are kind mm -hmm. and understanding but they don't have a very cancer. Mm -hmm. yeah. it changes the dynamic of your relationship as well doesn't it I think when you've got cancer people often don't know friends family don't really know how to help what to do yes. they feel quite powerless don't they yes they do and and they're suffering as as well in fact in some you know it's often worse for them because yeah. um, we've sort of tackled the the fear element yeah but I think for them there's still the awful uncertainty isn't there that they can't imagine what it must be like no. yeah yeah oh thank you so much for being so open and honest and just sharing your story are you okay if I ask you a few sort of fun questions yes certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ask everybody the same questions um, what song would be a signature tune for your life do you think I think it would probably be um an ABBA one maybe um Dancing Queen I think oh. I'd like that 
a long oh, no. time ago when um, we all went to an Edinburgh Jazz Week, mm -hmm. in which on a nice day was held in Princess Street Gardens. And my granddaughter must have been about four or five. And she was desperate to get up and dance and asked her mother and her aunt, and then they were all saying no. Well, I'll dance with grandma. Grandma will dance with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and we always used to play ABBA when we were going off on holiday. Aww. And in fact, my youngest daughter has always, Philippa has always said it makes her feel carsick because she remembers feeling carsick and mm. she associates it with mummy playing ABBA songs where we travelled to France or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but and yeah, it always but... makes me, they all, ABBA always makes me feel happy, happy. Yeah. And, yeah. I want to get up and dance. So that would be Oh, good yeah, one. that is so you. <laughs> yeah. What would you like to be remembered for? Uh, hopefully a sense of humour. Yeah. <laughs> and perhaps, um, yes, and I suppose I've done some funny things, but... Um, Maybe always being being there for other people, which yeah. I do I do enjoy. Yeah, you are you're very kind. Yeah. You're very generous and very kind. Yeah, I think people will remember you for that. <laughs> and what was the last book you read, or is there a book that you'd recommend everybody reads? Uh, well, my favourite book, probably of the last two decades, is yeah. A Shadow of the Wind, which. Okay is um, it's written by a Spaniard, but it's been translated into English. It's quite a big book, but it was just one. It's a bit like an adult version of, um, rather more serious than that, but an adult version of the famous five or something. It's a wonderful adventure, but beautifully written. And the translation to English was done by uh, the granddaughter of Robert Graves, the author, yeah. and, and the translation is very good. Another one I read very recently was A Gentleman in Moscow, which mm. is delightful. Oh, God, um, I, haven't, I haven't heard really of either of those. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, both, they're both lovely. It was, yeah. that does have a Russian author, but he's lived in America for years. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. those, are my, those are my two memorable, most memorable books, but I read a lot. Yeah, you've probably got lots and lots, haven't you? Probably got a list you, that you could give me, really. Yes, yeah, I think, I think I have some, some yeah. good, some not so good. Um, <laughs> I, I have my own taste, really, and there's some books I just haven't enjoyed. But yeah. uh, no, those two, a gentleman in Moscow, I think yeah. most people would enjoy. It's lovely. Okay. And your last question: Where in the world would you say is a must to live in to to visit in a lifetime? Where would you say is a must to visit? Well, I love Australia, but about um, twelve years ago, I went off on an adventure to Central America, and I lived on a little boat off the coast of Panama for about six weeks. Yeah, um, near just surrounded by the indigenous. Indian people really on the islands there and that was fantastic and I think one of the things that made it so interesting is the fact that not many people have been there no <laughs> and we were taken in to um to the mainland and went through you know the rainforest etc mm -hmm. and I was taken to see a cemetery and they they bury their dead and then a year later they come back and move them to a more permanent place and it was just lovely having 
just seeing it, you know, seeing mm -hmm. something totally different. You're completely cut off. My phone didn't mm -hmm. work. Mobile didn't work there at all. So really nobody knew where I was. The boat was a bit dodgy, but it was tremendous fun. I <laughs> what an adventure. <laughs> it was an adventure. Uh, and I, I think I'd love to go back to Central America, then went along to, went to Colombia as well, yeah. where there were a lot more people. But in this part of Panama, there were very few, oh. sort of very few people, San Blas Islands. But I think they'll disappear soon because the sea level's rising and they're very flat. Oh, how sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was lovely. But I've been very lucky that I have seen quite a lot of the world. Uh, and I loved Australia. I think I could have lived very happily in Australia. And I have a, my father was a New Zealander. So I have a New Zealand passport as well. So yeah, I could live in either. So you could, yeah. Who knows what I'll do when I grow up? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh gosh, I think that might be the title of your your episode. Yeah, <laughs> I have to think about that one. Incorporate it somehow. Oh, thank you so so much, Jane. Thank oh, well, thank you, you, Diane. It's been it's been lovely chatting to you as well. And, oh, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening today. To hear future episodes of this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe now. I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with women who are living with ovarian cancer. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and enjoy all that life has to offer.